0: Brian Dewhurst and Philip Ramsey. Hello, everybody. My name is Philip Ramsey. And I'm Brian Dewhurst. And we are coming back at you with another podcast with the Uncommon Life Project.
1: El proyecto. And we are
0: advisors at the Uncommon Wealth Partners. We're glad you're here with us. And we have a lot to cover today. But today we're talking about the second source of residual income as we see it, and that's real estate.
1: This is going to be a, a higher level approach to real estate and um, want to cover some technical terms, some strengths, weaknesses, and uh, get it, give you actually a download as well if you want to um, enter into some basic math and calculations.
0: Yeah, so this is going to be covering, like Brian said, a lot. But we hope that this gives you guys some kind of understanding of the way we look at real estate and the way that you can leverage it. Um, and take control of your money instead of maybe putting it in your 401k. And so maybe half the show we'll be talking about what's the differences between putting it in your 401k or leveraging it with the bank and buying a real estate uh, investment. property. Yeah. Yeah. So let's jump right into it. Well, first thing we're going to talk about is the strengths. Why do we like it so much?
1: We like it for several reasons. One, OPM, other people's money, uh, leveraging other people's money, not only the bank, uh, for you know, coming up with the other part of the purchase price of the property uh, outside the down payment, but then also the rent,
0: and we're kind of in a weird point of history where interest rates are historically very low. Sure. And I don't know if if you can remember, but I remember my parents buying their first house and the real estate or their in interest rate interest rate was super high, talking like uh, teens. So we have a really cool opportunity now as this generation to talk about maybe leveraging other people's money. That being said, there have been people who've used interest rates and then interest rates jack up. So we do have to be aware of that. But using other people's money is a powerful way to leverage.
1: And I think it's important when we talk about interest rates for the most part in this discussion, we're kind of just assuming because interest rates are so low, you're buying a property with like a 15 year or 30 year fixed mortgage and you're fixing that cost, uh, not letting it go on a variable rate, um, just because rates are so low. So we're kind of assuming that with this podcast. Great point. Second point of the strength is capital appreciation.
0: Once you buy the asset, chances are real estate goes up. Now it doesn't have to, right? This is, we've seen this in 08, um, 07, I would say is, uh, that can go down; it can go the opposite mm-hmm. direction. But because there's such a limited amount of resources, chances are those those prices do appreciate. And if you do this for the right reason, which for what Brian I would say is cash flow, yeah.
1: and the long term,
0: and the long term, uh, chances are you're going to get out of it when it's it's appreciated in value.
1: Definitely, uh, three would be tax favorable income, or you know, depreciating a building. Uh, or setting up a business to uh, expense different items. And so uh, we won't get too technical in that, but um, there are some tax advantages, obviously, of owning real estate. Um, And so we will touch on that.
0: Yep. The fourth thing we've already mentioned, but it's just cash flow. Getting your money to work for you at a point where you can use it today. Uh, We'll talk about that later, about how you can tell if it's a good investment or a bad investment, but rent and cash flow is a big
1: Yeah. And that dovetails into kind of the next point. Obviously, if you are leveraging a bank to purchase real estate, you know, part of that, um, part of the expenses really of having a mortgage, you're paying down principal on that note and someone else is doing that for you. Uh, if you're doing it correctly and uh, you're accruing equity in the property over time. Totally. The
0: last thing is, uh, it's just a good inflation hedge. Mm -hmm. So when interest rates, let's say stay the same or go up it doesn't matter but we do know that inflation does come into play for retirees and just for people on on yeah, the street everyone. today yeah so this is a way that you can now increase rent increase cash flow to help you hedge inflation and so you can be on the other end of that where inflation actually helps you mm-hmm.
1: so phil you We've done a good job covering those things. Let's dive into the capitalization rate or cap rate as you see it. Yeah. So
0: the cap rate, this is something that I think people really, they talk about, but they, I don't really think they really understand what that means. And so what we thought we would do is just kind of define that. And you would have to calculate the yearly gross income of that investment. So if it's spitting off, let's say on a hundred thousand dollar unit, It's spitting off, let's say, $12,000 a year. That would be the gross income of that property. Then you have to subtract the operating expenses associated with that property. Mm -hmm. And when you come down to that, now that could be property taxes, insurance, Mm -hmm. maintenance, marketing of that property, or if you have a management company handling that stuff, you have to take that number out of the gross income because that's not coming in. Uh, to you and your bottom line. And so at the end of that, that is your net operating expense. Um, that, that's when you take that number and you divide it by the, in, by the purchase price that you bought the property. Mm-hmm. So net income, which would include all the expenses taken out of the gross income, then you divide that by the amount that you purchased the property. Now this will give you a percentage. We say that you want to be normally, I would say the higher the percentages, the better the investment could be for you and your bottom line. But that's not always the case. Um, depending on if, if you have, let's say, a rental property that has a history behind it that's, that's cash flowing very consistently, you might be getting a lower cap mm-hmm. rate than double digits, but you have kind of a known commodity. So they'll take down you know, that rate of return for you, but you know that you're going to be getting this in the long run as a consistent level of income. So that's really how you handle the cap rate. Mm -hmm. Now, I think the discussion at this point, because we're talking about people leveraging their money, Mm -hmm. what would you say for people who will have to use a bank and have a mortgage payment associated with that? What would you say with that?
1: Yeah, I think it's, we look at it as two, two prong, like if you're in the accumulation phase where you're buying assets, or if you're in the like deleveraging phase where you've bought a bunch of stuff and you just want to pay it off. So I'd say uh, it also comes down to like how much cash you have on hand and how much risk you're willing to take. Um, and so we think, you know, obviously with rates being as low as they are right now, leveraging the bank's money is, uh, is something that, makes a lot of sense if you want to add properties more assertively. Yep. So if you had a hundred thousand dollars, like in our example, we were talking about
0: and you had it in your, let's say in your checking account, mm-hmm. you could go out and buy a rental property for a hundred thousand dollars. Cash. Cash. Yep. yep. Then you would take the expenses off of that number mm-hmm. and then whatever amount that's at the end of the rainbow would be that's yours going coming over. in. Yep. Or what Brian is talking about is taking that hundred thousand dollars and maybe buying trying to buy five properties or let's just say, let's just start with one. <laughs> Brian just did the Brian I go a little, a little big, a little aggressive, but, but you get the point. You could do that. You could take 20% down on five properties,
1: 20% and, down on a hundred thousand, 20,000.
0: Yep. Great math. <laughs> and then you could buy five rental properties and now you have five assets mm-hmm. uh, and they may or may not be cash flowing better than the first one you buy. Right it just depends. It's all about numbers, but that's what we're talking about, about leveraging and using other people's money, which right now with interest rates, like we talked about, it could be a smart idea. Definitely. Okay, great. So that's how you do cap rates. This is a really cool way just to be able to, um, I would say compare different investments, Mm -hmm. having them on the board and just talking about cap rates. Now there's a lot that goes into that more than just a percentage amount, but, uh, it's a good way to start into this space um
1: and something good that people can do right at home i think it's kind of like you know you look at a stock and you look at the dividend rate i think it's kind of like the dividend rate of a stock is the cap rate of of rental properties and that's a good way to yeah like you said compare different different uh, assets that you could buy and seeing what you could uh, generate in terms of income
0: yeah and again this isn't the end all be all yeah
1: and i think too the the other thing we're talking about inflation is your property might start at a 10% cap rate or a net, you know, net cap rate of 10% or 8%. But over time over five to 10 years and you raise the rent every, every year, let's just say even 2%, you know, you're over a 10 year period compounding, increasing the rent over 20% from where it is today. So if you're getting the loan at a fixed rate, but you can raise rent annually, you know, you're now, um, you know, leveraging cor- correctly in the power of um, the power of inflation is now more on your side because you have an asset that's pr- producing cash flow and protecting your your inflation risk. So totally.
0: And on the same side of that, uh, your knowledge that you put into the investment uh, can also change your cap rate to the positive. Um, so let's say you do the numbers, the calculations, and it comes up to an eight percent cap rate. But you know you can go in there, you can raise rent, you can do this, you can do that, and at the end of the rainbow. And when all said and done by the knowledge you can give, you can make it to 11% cap rate. So
1: those are all factors. To yeah, just think for about. sure. What's now? We've kind of made this sound rosy and like everybody should do it. Let's talk about what could go wrong Yeah. before we dive into a specific example.
0: Yeah. And I think the biggest thing is that you're dealing with people, mm. renters. Come on. Or, you know, like here's the deal. At the end of the day, you just have to figure out what your capacity is or what your risk tolerance is. If you don't want to deal with renters, there's ways around that. But at the end of the day, you just can't factor in, you can do all the numbers crunches as you can. You just can't factor in what people are going to be like or what they're going to do, uh, which kind of gets me excited. But other people, I mean, would shy away from this right away.
1: Yeah. So I think obviously that's a great point. Um, you know, we've heard a bunch of stories about just the unexpected or unintended expenses of maintenance, pipes burst, Mm -hmm. renters leave the stove on, you know, we've, we've heard dozens, if not, you know, hundreds of stories about what can go wrong. And I think too, that's real. We don't want to downplay that financial risk of a pipe bursting or not being covered by insurance. Um, but that's also what insurance is for. That's also uh, why you need to have excess cash. That's why um, you got to maintain your liquidity when you start, you know, setting out being entrepreneurial and developing multiple streams of income As things can go wrong. You're taking a different risk than than just putting your money in the stock market uh, or, or what have you. But I think that is a real unknown if something could go wrong with the property.
0: Yep. And it does prohibit people from jumping into this space. I would say that we would categorize this as not a liquid investment. And we would tell and coach our clients to know your exit strategy going into it. Mm -hmm. And if it's for cash flow, then keep it for cash flow. Now that's not being said that they might not have another asset later down the road that they feel like is even more powerful that we can now sell this, Mm -hmm. but it wouldn't be something that I would say, yeah, your money's liquid for you. You have to. Sell it, or this, that, and the other. So that would be, I would say, a downside.
1: Mm-hmm. And then managing a property is real. You've got to get it rented. You've, you know, we do recommend people setting up an LLC uh, for the property. So that obviously takes some upfront work and expense. Um, having maybe a different set of books for the accounting. Uh, you know, going and showing the property to however many different people you have to show it to to get it rented. You know, something goes wrong here and there, you're going to have to deal with it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Renters trash the place. You got to do new carpet, new paint, yep. whatever. Yep. Uh, all those different things are real and do take bandwidth capacity uh, mentally and emotionally. And not only that, but financially.
0: And you can hire management companies to litigate all that for you, but they charge a fee and that could yeah. then, that could go into your cap rate. Mm-hmm.
1: So we've heard, I think, from a lot of the clients that we have that own real estate, we've heard the cap rate on average is as low as about six to seven would be the lowest we've heard, mm-hmm. um, up to ten to eleven percent of gross rent. So let's just say uh, a house gross annual rent is ten thousand, then they're going to take you know seven hundred to a thousand dollars a year uh, from that property uh, for managing that property. That's how they calculate that.
0: Yep. Good. Yeah, so just know your exit strategy, Um, and then I would say the last maybe I don't know challenge or (laughs) Mm -hmm. something to think about would be property taxes. Those things can go up definitely, Uh, and so something that you can really you should factor in. It it happens from time to time, but it's something that you should probably be thinking about for the downside of real estate. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now let's go into the part of the program where it's going to get a little bit numbers heavy but we hope we do a good job of talking about these in something that you can understand in your head. And the reason why is because we wanna talk about two, basically the same individual and two different paths Mm -hmm. for that person's money. Yep. Those paths are the 401k. The 401k, the the beloved. The beloved. 800 pound gorilla. (laughs) Yep, and then going our route or, or a route that some people go down and that's rental property. Why would they do it? What are the numbers associated with it? Yeah, And talking about like real numbers, so you can grasp that.
1: So I think one of the things we've gotten feedback on and the concept we're trying to uh, put more content around is the idea that when you're putting money in your 401k, you're really trying to buy the last year of your life and working backwards. Mm, Whereas when you buy a rental property, you're actually trying to buy the next day of your life and, and working forwards. And so that cash flow starts month one, you know, ideally you get the place rented, uh, that you own the property. And so that's really where I think we've had a lot of success or where we resonate with people is we want you to have more money tomorrow, not 30 years from now. And if you solve for that, you should have more money 30 years from now. And that's what we want to try to prove. And so we've created a simple uh, download that goes with this podcast that highlights the, these two scenarios of the person is, you know, we just put their salary at a hundred thousand and they, let's say they're maxing out their 401k. And we're assuming that person is under 50 years old uh, because the max, um, the max contribution on the 401k right now is 18,000 uh, per person. And if you're over 50, it's 24,000. The piece that you can put in as part of your, uh, employee, um, compensation or your employee deferral plus the catch up if you're over 50, but we're just using 18,000, uh, for today. So if you put in 18,000 and you have an awesome employer, you have an awesome employer who's going to contribute 6% of The your salary, old 6% match, the free money, as they say, don't forget that you're working all year for that person <laughs> to get that free money. So uh-huh. I don't know that it's free, but it's easy to say that it's free. Yep. Nothing in life that I've learned is free. Um but let's just let's just assume it's free.
0: Okay. So we got twenty-four thousand dollars twenty-four
1: thousand going into your 401k. That's epic. Every year. Every year.
0: Just like clockwork. Okay. Now, same person, but he decides to do the
1: uncommon path. Uncommon path is I am gonna bet on myself yep. with that 18 grand.
0: So he takes that $18,000 that he would be contributing to his 401k. Mm-hmm. And then he puts a down payment on a house, which would 20% 20% down, which he could buy a $90,000 investment property. Mm-hmm.
1: And we just had a client, uh, buy a $75,000 rental property and started renting it out month one. And they were getting, I think he's getting about $850 a month. So like, this is pretty, this is pretty real. We're in Des Moines, Iowa. So that just happened a couple weeks ago.
0: Yep. Uh, So when we, when we buy a Mm -hmm. $90,000, I guess, asset, we're going to say that the total gross rent is Mm
1: $12,600. So we just kind of made that number up, but you know, based on market rate and um, different things, we think that um, that number's pretty close to what it would be And honestly, that part of it isn't as big of a deal um, as maybe what we'd want to compare two things. One, just that you've now secured a $90,000 asset. Now, granted, we're talking about leveraging the bank for $72,000. You're putting $18,000 down and the bank's putting in 72,000. But you're now controlling a $90,000 asset versus the 401k, where you only have a $24,000 asset. So I think that's important distinction.
0: Yeah, and I think I do want to just go out and say that if he would have put $18,000 in his 401k, he would have had a deduction. Mm-hmm. So
1: there's that. Yep. So I'm just and, test it. And that, you know, if this person utilizes their cell phone and home internet to rent their property, those now would be deductible expenses. Mileage driven to the house would be deductible. Any other additional funds put into that house, uh, you know, painting, fixing things up, those would be deductible expenses uh, against your income. So there's ways to mitigate the tax deduction of the 401k versus buying a property, but it's obviously a pure deduction putting money in the 401k. There's really no ambiguity of that. Um, And so that's a good point.
0: So the total annual expenses, and we included the mortgage payment, Mm -hmm. we included it all. We threw the whole Shoot and match. Shoot and match. And it was $9,372 a year mm-hmm. for that $90,000.
1: And we asset. aren't assuming a management company, though, because I think that's important. We yeah, are assuming that you're doing this deal on your own.
0: Yep. Which could be or couldn't could be, couldn't be yeah. the case. So, all right. So now let's just zoom back out. We've got one person. He's decided to do two paths. Mm-hmm. One Take his $18,000, put it in his 401k, get the match of 6%, which would then put it up to Mm $24,000 or go the other direction, the uncommon path, which would then be buy a rental property, put $18,000 down payment on a house, get a $90,000 investment that now is cash flowing $12,600 a year. Mm -hmm. And then his total annual expenses is $9,372. Yeah. Okay.
1: So I think the other important thing or the other distinction we want to make is the free money because I love this argument well, my employer is putting in 6% and that's free money. Well, that's not really true because you have to put in your 6% to get their 6%. Now, some retirement plans do put in or contribute money even if you don't put in money, but most of them these days don't. And then the other side of it is, okay, you put in your 18,000, you're getting the 6,000. Let's just say you're thinking of that as a 30% return. But in our example with a rental property, you're getting $12,000 of rent. That's double the employer match. Mm. That's coming from somebody else that you've probably never met that's now renting from you and paying you money. So the 6% free money could be 12%, you know, or $12,000 in rent uh, off the same $18,000 investment. And you could stop working at your current employer and buy this rental property and you're gonna get that cash flow into perpetuity, you know, assuming you manage the property well. So it's not contingent on you staying at your employer either uh, to keep getting that match, and that's what we think is the powerful thing. Uh, as we see people getting laid off, as we people, you know, the millennials are changing jobs like seven times before they're thirty-five, that type of thing. And so let's go now past one year.
0: Yeah. Okay. So the next year, you've got to keep doing it. Same person. We got to then kind of like flush this out in five years mm-hmm. and then we want to flush it out at the end of the rainbow when he's ready to retire. Mm-hmm. So the next year you'd have another 24,000 that would be put in his 401k. Ooh,
1: that sounds so, so juicy.
0: Delicious. Uh, and we're saying a 7% growth rate on that.
1: Yeah. 7% baseline. And then we'll do another example later.
0: Yep. So, but 7% is fairly conservative, um, especially the last couple of years, um, but it also go negative, but we'd never really, we'd never really talk yeah. about that. It's just a 7%. Okay, but then we got the flip side, the uncommon path. He mm-hmm. takes that $18,000 and then instead of paying that off, that rental property, we're going to leverage to another asset. Another one. Yep. And then we're going to just assume the same numbers apply.
1: Yep. So he does that for five years, uh, 18,000 plus the 6% match. So 24,000 times five years. That's 120,000 that he's put into the 401k. And we didn't assume any market growth rate, positive or negative. And when we look at this, we don't assume any growth rate on the real estate, positive or negative. So after five years, his five homes are worth this essentially a total value of 450,000, mm-hmm. five times 90,000. And his 401k is worth 120,000. So in five years with the same cash flow, he's secured assets of 450,000 and versus in his 401k, he has 120,000.
0: Yep. And if you wanted to cap the 7% growth rate on that, it'd be 138,000. So,
1: yeah. So this is kind of what we think is powerful. I mean, you know, you have a $120,000 asset that you can't really touch unless you're 59 and a half, uh, or you can take a loan against it. Um, versus $450,000 worth of assets. Now, we understand that there's debt against those properties. We totally get that. But in that, you're accruing rent now on five different properties at, you know, we, we just assume $12,600 uh, a year. So now you've got, uh, what is that in rent? Like over 60000 yep. a year annually in rent? 63000 63000 and when you look at the average person who's making $100,000, you know, at their job, they're probably netting somewhere between five and six grand a month after taxes, 401k, health insurance, all that stuff. Well, in five years now, you have a gross cash flow of about what you need for your monthly nut, minus the debt expense
0: and the debt expense for that whole five properties would be $46,860. Yeah. So we're mindful of that. But now this is where I think it gets interesting. Mm-hmm. Because those two paths we're just going to assume that he continues down the path of the 7% matching or doing what he wanted to put in his 401k yeah. last he loves five his years. Loves it. I love my job. If 18,000 gets the 6%. So we're just going to assume that he continues to do that, mm-hmm. right? And then now let's pretend and then we'll flash forward in 15 years in a second, but now let's go over to the rental property guy. Cause now he's got five rental properties. He's got five. Yep. And he decides to shut it down. Like no more, no more. Let's just start
1: paying down the debt,
0: shredding that debt, yep. figuring it out. And then let's now look at 15 years later. Right. Okay. And remember that we're assuming 7% on the market rate of return on the market. For no, the 401k. no losses. Yep. 401k path no losses at the end of the rainbow. He
1: has, Oh, I mean, sorry. We're assuming a 2% inflation rate or growth rate on the value of the properties and the, and the rent. So 2% inflation or growth rate, whatever you want to call it versus 7% in the market. He only bought five properties versus contributing to the 401k for 20 years. So five versus 20.
0: Yep. So at the end of the rainbow, in 20 years, let's say he's down that path. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been doing this path for 20 years. He has nine hundred eighty-three thousand dollars, eight hundred ninety-two dollars. So I mean, it's in his 401k. In his 401k. So let's just say it's it's a million bucks. Yeah, let's say it's nine hundred eighty-four thousand, close yeah. to a million. But that's what he has. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now it's all in his 401k, qualified account. Yep. <laughs> it's okay. trapped. Yep, kind of trapped. Okay. Versus on the other side. We're saying that in the last 20 years, he'd be able to pay off that property. Yeah, That might, that might be assuming much, but we feel like if he would able to put in $18,000 for the first five years, he should be able to put $18,000 to shred the mortgage or shred yeah. that debt. So I don't think it's that outlandish. At the end of the rainbow, he has, he has five assets totaling $630,000. Yep. That's the total of his portfolio of his investment yeah. property. Which
1: we think is really low, but that's, I think, safe.
0: Yep. And then because of that, he has $88,000 gross, gross rent, gross rent. Okay. Yep. 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 Now he would have to take down maintenance and all that stuff. Property taxes. property taxes, all that stuff. But at the end of the rainbow, $88,000 versus a million dollars in the 401k. -hmm. Now I would love to walk up to somebody in the street and ask them, would you rather have $88,000 a year coming off of investment properties or a million dollars in your 401k? Yeah. What do you think the percentage of people would take the million dollars?
1: Over 90.
0: Yes. I Uh, think 9 out of 10. I think you're right. Because that number is so great. It's a big number. Yeah. What's your number? It's over a million. Thanks, ING. Yes. But now let's really break that down from now our perspective as advisors. What can we get off of that million dollars conservatively Mm -hmm. to help them live for the rest of their life?
1: Yeah. So let's assume, you know, the book answer is saying now. Uh, you know, financial planning that you should be taking a 2.8% withdrawal rate off of your pot of money. So if you had a million dollars in your 401k, that's 28 grand gross. That's before taxes that you could take off conservatively the million dollars without running the chance of running out of money. Now, the old answer was 4%. And, you know, let's say you go up to 5%. So that'd be 40,000 or even $50,000 gross before taxes. Now, we're in the state of Iowa. If you're taking that plus your Social Security, and let's say you've got some other income, whatever, I mean, you're basically, you know, if you have over 77000 you know, federal, you're paying 25%. In the state of Iowa, I think you're paying at least 6 or 7%. So you're at a 30% combined tax rate yep. on that money. Yep. So we, we, for our estimate, we did a total uh, state and federal tax rate of 35%. Yep. And a five percent
0: withdrawal rate.
1: So we're assuming fifty K basically off the nine eighty three. Um, and then paying thirty five percent tax.
0: Yep. So that whole end of the rainbow number is thirty one thousand, almost thirty two thousand mm-hmm. dollars a year that you just got off of that million dollars. Yep. That's the safe withdrawal rate. That's actually a kind of a risky withdrawal rate, by the way, mm-hmm. too. But okay, so you got let's say $32,000 at the end of the rainbow. Okay. Versus the net income off these properties, those five properties.
1: Yeah. So we have uh, on our table uh, that you can download. We had the expenses, we had the mortgages fixed because rates are so low and we had the mortgages um, stopping in the 20th year because we think the rent, you know, an inflation adjusted rent would more than pay off the houses in that amount of time. But when we factored in you know the property taxes the insurance uh, maintenance and marketing the properties we act, uh, factored that in a two percent growth rate so the expenses were about thirty three thousand two hundred and the properties were paid off so you have net you know gross profit of about fifty five thousand and then at our thirty five percent tax rate to keep things apples to apples with the 401k uh, that's a net Net um, tax adjusted income of about thirty five, thirty six thousand mm-hmm. dollars
0: 36000 And just for our example, I think it's important just to say so the insurance we factored in at $50 per month, the property taxes at 125 mm-hmm. the maintenance was $200 a month, and then the marketing we thought was like $20 a month. So we just threw something in there. Yeah, just so you guys. Know. Perfect. So that's the reason I think that's the good scenario for people just to wrap their heads around. Same person. Doing two different things mm-hmm. with his money. Um, at the end of the rainbow, I'd rather have the five rental properties. But again, that's why, that's why our names uncommon. Uncommon <laughs> Wealth Partners. And I would say the fact that I would have a business to then write off some of these things—it's powerful. Mm-hmm. And we really do advise our clients in retirement: you should have some kind of entity that you have some business, I guess. Yeah, protection. Protection for taxes and something that you can write off on. So I would rather have
1: that, but. And again, so we have a download if you want to see just kind of this case study. Uh, we're going to have a download on our website, uh, not only UncommonWealth.com, but uh, the Uncommon Life Project website as well for our podcast. So if you want to see that, um, you're more than welcome to download that. It's free. And uh, we wanted to make that available just so you know we can be held accountable to our numbers and um, be transparent.
0: Yep. And then, so what rate of return would we have to get to net the amount of money that we'd get from those rental properties for that 401k
1: path. Yeah. So assuming, you know, no expenses on the property, it would be north of 12%. So the 401k would have to get north of 12% return. Every year for, every 20, year years. for 20 years. Yep. Compounded to get the same cash flow of the 88,000 minus the tax rate. When you factor in obviously the expenses, it's probably going to be closer somewhere to seven to 10%. Yep. Uh, growth rate with no negatives, and um, that's also assuming no fees on the investment either. So, um, yeah, it, it basically a seven to ten percent growth rate for twenty years straight, no losses. To um, to factor in the same type of potential income off of owning five rental properties, and again, this is for illustrative purposes. This isn't promissory or guarantee by any stretch of the imagination. I want to put my compliance hat on, but what. <laughs> It does illustrate though, I think is the power of real estate that you're getting gross rent off of the $90,000 house, not the $18,000 down payment. Whereas your return in the stock market, you know, going back to a one year example is only off the 24. And so getting that leverage off of the bank and off of other people's money for rent, is really powerful.
0: I hope our listeners are still with us. There's a lot of numbers. (laughs) A lot of numbers. uh, We geek out on that. Again, download that. You can see it. But here's the last kind of piece that we wanted to talk about is the transaction types. What can you get into to help you in the real estate, uh, I guess, residual income sector? Mm -hmm. Um, The first one is just rental properties. You can buy single family homes. Shout out to Drew. uh, You can go that route Um, which is exciting and it's something to dip your toe into. You can understand the expenses and and maintenance and all that stuff.
1: Several clients that own and rent single family homes all over multiple states. They're doing it and the cash flow is powerful and managing. It seems fairly straightforward and um, they're doing it successfully.
0: Yep. So single family homes. The next thing is you can buy a condo. You can, you can buy a condo. I would say on that the caveat is, you have another expense called the HOA fees, mm-hmm. homeowners association that uh, can get you. That also can go up along with uh, property taxes. So you just got to be careful with mm-hmm. that. Um, and those are just like basic renters. You have renters that are giving you a monthly payment for that. The second thing that I think I would talk about instead of that, if you're worried about squatters, mm-hmm. as they're called, is you can Airbnb your properties. Um, depending on where you're at, you're going to want to buy a cool location for those. And you're going to have to do a lot of due diligence to see if there's a lot of, I guess, demand for Airbnb at that point, um, or VRBO or same kind of thing. Um, but you can do that as well. And the reason why I think a lot more people are doing that that way is you can attach a cleaning fee to it. Uh, and you can also use that property. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a, something that you sit over in a corner, you can actually benefit from that. Um, and so a lot of people that we've been working with are are looking at something like that in places that they've always wanted to travel to, or mm-hmm. they've traveled to a lot. Now they have a place where they can block out for those two weeks and that's their time to, to relax.
1: Yeah. I've been amazed as we talk about rental properties with our clients, how many people have stated that they stay in an Airbnb. Mm-hmm. I think we're just as a, um, as a society and as an economy, just starting to scratch the surface with Airbnb. And so the multi-use, mixed use, um, the power and potential of Airbnb to leverage an existing property or potential rental property is, is gonna be really neat to watch. And I think our clients and our listeners should really be exploring that avenue um, soon. If you're interested in this space.
0: Yeah. And we've had clients that are like, I don't have money to put a down payment on an investment, mm-hmm. but I do have an extra room
1: mm-hmm. and
0: they've Airbnb that room yep. and they don't have to do it often, but you know, they, and they, they've had great reviews on it and met some great people. And so,
1: and then we have lots of clients that own duplexes, you know, obviously it's like uh, two units sharing a common wall. And then multifamily apartments, so like a four-unit, six-unit, eight-unit, twenty-four-unit. We have clients, you know, that have even above that, which is more like an apartment building Mm -hmm. uh, or complex. But one I want to touch on; those are, you know, pretty common. But the one I think that's uncommon, and your family has experience with this, Philip, is Mm -hmm. is mobile home parks.
0: Yeah. So we have uh, my grandfather purchased a mobile home park when his family was very young. We still have that in the family today. My mom runs it along with her sisters. And it's been a valuable asset to uh, the whole family. Mm -hmm. From when he started it to now, it's still continuing to do that. And if he would have had a 401k, if he would have been that individual that put in the 401k, we would not have any of that. Mm -hmm. And not only that, my mom takes great pride and ownership in that park being able to invest it like her father did. There's just some intangibles that you can't even put a price tag on for us. And it's been a rental property. And for them, it's been a mission field too. talking to those renters uh, when they come in with sob stories, to be able to pray with them, to be able to talk through stuff with them. Um, They love it. And that's also made me think about those in my future, whether me buying uh, one that stands alone or, you know, maybe have an opportunity to buy that at some point. Yeah. Who knows what that'll be, but I'm way more open to that when I think a lot of people would just shy away from yeah.
1: that. I want to dive into this a little bit more, just real quick, because I think I never really thought about it until I met your family. Yeah. But there's kind of two ways to make money on a mobile home park. Yeah. Uh, you have the actual land mm-hmm. that you're renting out, correct? Yep. So you have this acreage, if you will, and you've got spots on it. Yep. And they can park a trailer on it. Yep. And you're charging lot rent per trailer, correct? Yep. And you you get to
0: parcel that acre out in such a small area. You can, get a, you can get a lot of them. You can get a lot of
1: them in. Yeah. Yep. Then, and this is kind of one thing that I think your grandfather was doing, and then obviously the people that have helped him and the family run it over time. But then you have the actual trailers mm-hmm. that you can either own, flip, yeah. refurbish, yeah, Can you talk about that a little bit?
0: Yeah. So that, I don't think was the n- number one reason my grandfather got into it, right. but it ended up being kind of a, it's another profit source. Though. It's another profit source. And so what would happen is he would hear of somebody who needed to get out of their property. Um, and he would do this multiple ways, but sometimes what he would do is just give them cash, right? Like, Hey, we need $10,000 to get out of the property. At that point, it's kind of a fire sale. You can kind mm-hmm. of work through that, um, negotiate that. Um, but a lot of times you can get those at a discount and then he would rent that to the next person. He'd sell them on contract, um, for an amount of money. Yeah. Um, I've also heard people who, who have no space of owning a rental or mobile home park, but they've actually started investing in the trailer, the trailers Mm. because they get it at such a reduced rate and get a pretty good rate of return right off the bat. And it's a low barrier entry. Mm -hmm. Um, and some people, um, Depending on the situation, instead of giving them cash up front, they'll just say, "Hey, I'll give you four hundred dollars a month for the next yeah two years, two years whatever. or a year, or whatever." Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, these people just need cash right now, and so they're just excited about getting the cash, and you get mm-hmm. the asset, and then you can rent that out. And so that's definitely a byproduct of it that you can think outside the box and scale it. And a lot of times, to your point, when you get into the real estate environment you start thinking of different ways that you can scale it and yeah. and make it more profitable. Um, but it takes you actually having a yeah, property. You got your hands in it. Yep. Um, so that's mobile home parks. I think uh, you can buy college houses. I'd love you to talk about this because this, we geek out on this one.
1: Yeah. This, this has been one that uh, we've had several people uh, do. I think it's, it's really neat too. When you talk about uh, family economics, which I don't want to get into on this podcast, but it's something we definitely have to talk about. Uh, down the road. And what family economics is, is just multi-generational uh, entrepreneurial business. Uh, I think it's biblical. I think it's a lost art in terms of leading and shepherding your family and bringing your kids up in uh, being an entrepreneur and being a business owner. Uh, but simply stated is your your child is going to go off to college. And the the typical thing is to let them live at the dorms um, or just rent from somewhere and you're paying the the bill. Well, the other thing you could do is buy a house and then, you know, working in concert with your child is to get their friends to rent from you. Well, now you have an asset at campus that produces cash flow and can help offset the expenses of sending your child to college. Two, it makes them responsible responsible for the property and it gets them into, you know, a marketing type role of, hey, you know, come live with me, and my parents are buying this house. And um, you know, gets them to take ownership. And then from that standpoint too, uh, there's another part we can we can talk about it, and that's a kitty loan where you actually get the child on the loan to start building their credit. Um that's kind of like a, you know, a next level idea. But yeah, it's it's the standpoint too of if you have let's say you've put money away in a five twenty nine, uh well. You can take money out of a 529 account uh, legally uh, for rent. And so you can take money out of your own or a grandparent's own 529 to pay rent to yourself. And that's a qualified expense. And each college or university publishes uh, like an average uh, student rental rate. And so you can take that rental rate out of your 529 or a 529 for your child as a qualified expense. So it's another way to get money, uh, out of these, um, you know, we call them kind of one trick ponies. The 529 really is only for college. And so we have a lot of parents that overfunded those and they need to get the money out and it's not going to be as expensive as they projected because their kids are getting scholarships or, um, they went to a state school or what have you. And so they need to get money out of these accounts. Well, this is a great way to do that. And you know, Build rent, uh, build that responsibility, and now not only that. Final point, and I'll stop. Is every time you go visit your child at college? Yes, that's a deductible yes. expense because you have a property at that college, and you're going to check not only on your student <laughs> or <your> child, <laughs> but your property, but your property. And <laughs> so now your cell phones and your home internet that you're using to to talk to your uh, child at that property are. Legitimate deductible expenses, and then obviously the travel cost to get to said property is a deductible expense. so if your child is going to school out of state or out of city it's a great way to mitigate that expense of um, schlepping them down there every semester yeah, yeah. and then you're not moving you know I remember when I was in college I think I moved I think I moved every year uh, I moved four times, and so think about the expense of moving your <laughs> child four times versus Having them stay in a house for four years. And then, you know, last point, I've said that now twice, but uh, last point, (laughs) if you have multiple students, you know, if you have multiple kids that are going to go to the same college, it becomes an absolute no brainer because I mean, you could be talking about covering six to eight to 10 years of rent uh, across multiple kids uh, and having that money come back to yourself. And so, anyways, it's a powerful strategy. It's one that we've leveraged, um, you know, numerous times and seen it work. And so, Um, we'd love to chat about that with you if you have interest in that and, um, I'll stop from there.
0: Yeah. This has (laughs) been, this has been a fun conversation, guys. You obviously know how passionate we get about this because it's an easy way to, to jump into the seven sources Mm of residual income and can impact you and your financial course. And so if you guys would like more, I keep saying guys, if you would like more information, about what we do or how we do it, we would love to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, set up an initial consultation. Uh, www.uncommonwealth.com is where you can find us. Again, yeah. uh, you know, if, if there's any questions from this podcast or any
1: other podcasts,
0: please feel free to reach out. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, definitely. Please subscribe to our uh, podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And also look for our free download on this uh, real estate um, example that we gave. And uh, yeah, continue to look at the opportunities in the marketplace
0: for sure. And lastly, not only subscribe, but give us a good rating because I feel like we never talk about that, but it would really mean a lot to us. If you guys gave us a good rating, that'll give us, uh, in front of more people and we can just kind of reach more people with this uncommon path. So guys, thanks again for listening and uh, we hope you stay tuned for
1: the next one. Definitely. Thank you very much. Bye. That's all for this episode of the
0: Uncommon Life Project, brought to you by Uncommon Wealth Partners. Be sure to visit UncommonWealth.com to learn more about our services. Don't miss an episode as we introduce you to inspiring people who are actively pursuing an uncommon life.